Hello, and welcome to episode four of Brew with Captain Stew. In this episode, we've cracked open the chocolate bonbons, and we found ourselves an extra couple of mugs as Stew's joined by fellow tea suppers Stephen and Mike. Keep listening to find out more about an unlikely avocado protest, how shipping will always find its way round, and why every seafarer is devoted to their smoker. Technically, it was a tea break. That's what it is. It's a tea break on the ship. Twice a day. Uh, yeah, uh, certainly in a, in a good smoke as well. We'll come on to that. But it was um, 10 o'clock, if I remember rightly. It was 10 o'clock in the mornings, 10 yeah. till 10.30. And it was 3 till 3.30. Yeah, and it was, for the, it was for the day workers. Um, so primarily the crew, the engineers, and uh, anybody else. And, and maybe, maybe the chef now and again. But um, it, was, it was the most exciting time on the ship i know it sounds did any did everyone join in regardless of whether they smoked what did everyone smoke yeah well yeah you shake your head mike i mean proportionally i think the non-smokers were in a minority i mean i i I, it's it's a weird thing i know i I never actually got around to smoking and and one of the reasons perhaps was i went to sea on chemical tankers where it was positively discouraged for but they were yeah. ne- nevertheless there were smoking environments where people could smoke safely, and uh, yeah, they had a they had a they had a fag and and a, and a cuppa. I think smoking was just it was all just part of the art. I remember joining as I was sixteen. I didn't smoke, and they they <clears> said, "Oh, we're here, here, welcome on board, and uh, here's a case of beer, and here's a carton of fags, and uh, that was one pound." And you were like, "I'll have two uh just because it was cheap and then smoking and rolling cigarettes as well it was all part of the tapestry of smoko and but you needed to get to smoko early there was you know there was a big thing about smoko you you didn't go at 10 o'clock good god no 10 o'clock you were burning valuable smoko time if you downed your tools at 10 o'clock and walked what could take you five, 10 minutes on some ships to get back for smoko, plus you had to wash your hands, you had to take off your dirty boiler suit and take your boots off. I mean, it's very ceremonial. So you got to down your tools at at least 20 minutes before 10 o'clock. <laughs> when I first joined, I was day working, but with the electrician and uh, I was carrying on doing whatever I was doing at 10 o'clock. And he's like, oh, son, Brave men fought and died to get us this smoke, oh lad. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to be part of it. Very, very important smoke. So yeah, you, you you dash in, people would all have their particular chairs, crew would have their mess room, officers. Officers generally sort of like migrated and were magnetized towards the engine room where most of the engineers were, but chairs and and, and where they were placed. That was very important. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't just go and sit in any chair. Good God. And as a cadet, you know, that was, it was paramount that you sat down last, particularly as you joined on, on, on the voyage. And then as the voyage went on, you know, you knew what to do. There were certain characters that would always be stealing biscuits from, you know, certain areas. And they would always turn up with chocolate bonbons when you'd never seen a chocolate bonbon on the ship. Um, 
bacon sandwiches. I mean, if you really had a good chef, there may even be bacon sandwiches. And, and so it was an exciting time. But it was also the time that that's when stories really swung around, you know, when I was at sea and last captain and this. And, and you'd have 30 minutes of just amazing storytelling. And some bit, some guys were just ultra amazing at them uh, you get the odd guy that was just sit there for maybe six months on a voyage and never hear him speak oh. maybe nod nod his head now and again um and then obviously you you would talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and tell stories until 10 30 and if you were in the middle of a good story you didn't break until you finished the story and you would hope that that guy would just carry on and on and on and on and on <laughs> Particularly if he was a senior ranked officer and he was he was holding court because you just knew that this guy was burning more and more working time. And then another ceremony, you had to go and get your boiler suit and you had to put your boots on and then you had to walk the 400 meters to the front of the ship. So we're talking 11 o'clock before we got back to work. And nice. Another hour before lunchtime, which was another story altogether. So we did that twice, twice, uh, twice a day. And I just think it's good. We've lost that art of storytelling in the workplace. And uh, I just hope that, you know, this brew, this smoko uh, is allows people at work to just down tools and listen and listen to some stories and some observations. That's it. Brilliant. And if they start playing it slightly after 10 o'clock, then they get longer off work as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But, but I think the yeah, I mean, part of it is, is it offers respite if you you know if you've just been covered in crap for an hour or two, or you know you're working out on deck in crappy weather. So I think the smoko, that, uh, you know, the importance of that storytelling, and 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 of course, if you were if you were having a bit of a whinge so about getting wet or being dirty or any of that stuff, then you get very short shrift and somebody would reset you very, very promptly. And then you you went out and attacked the job again. So I think Smoko had that that kind of, it was like a bit of a reset moment as well uh, to get, get on with the rest of what what, what you were doing, even if uh, somewhat tardy fashion from what Stu's saying, but um, I'm not sure we'd have got to, got to quote quite all of that, but but yeah, it's it's, it's true. And, I, and it's, I want, I want, one wonders about, <clears throat> ships with when when they when they when they have multiple nationalities on whether 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 it kind of works the same way but but back back then uh i think the times we're talking about most of us sailed with single nationalities um but i guess even on multinational crews which are with the end of my career i mean they had their own sort of smoker routine as well which usually involved rice as far as i remember um but but it's the same the same thing maybe not a brew but you know something else uh, a snack or whatever then uh, they had their own uh, whatever their own ritual around it if you joined a ship now and you and you walked on board a ship at 10 o'clock the chances are you're gonna you're gonna find nearly everybody in one or two areas of the ship yeah i think that's right i think that's absolutely right i guess it's that jump isn't it of what is culture is it nationality or is it about green seafarers is is you know the 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 building of the bonds between seafarers where they are, what they're doing, because the reality is floating on the sea in a big steel box, or you know whether that trumps their kind of you know more home-focused dealings with each other. I think that's a great, great question, Steve. And I've said this longer, so many times for a long period of time. Culture has been a seafarer. Creed, colour, irrelevant. 
because being a seafarer, you 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 learn you you learn to adapt, and uh, you know what I saw different religious cultures, uh, color, whatever it may be, nationalities. That was just more stories for me. That was just more stories. They were going to tell you what it was like in the Croatian war, sailed with a lot of guys in the 90s. It just come from a horrendous situation. And it gave you a nice perspective. You know, you were listening to them and telling you their stories as opposed to reading it in the newspapers. Uh, religion, you know, always confused me. Sometimes some of the, the, the things that they were doing, you asked the question and, and, and they would explain it. They weren't shy about it and they would tell it. And now, 30 years later, I'm watching TV commercials about how we can all use Google to sympathise and understand other people. I was just people's... thinking of that, Stu, the Marcus Rashford yes. ad. Because that's the only way the young are now communicating via the screen. So storytelling, you know, it's been a fine art for thousands of years and Smoko was that. And I think that when we had different <clears throat> uh, mixed nationalities on board, the, the common culture was being a seafarer. And, and, I, and I, I support that even more. The one common conversation at Smoko, as you approached ports, you've been away a long time at sea, you'd cracked on, got the job done, that's what we did. But you were so excited about getting towards a port. And there's nothing that's more democratised as a seafarer heading towards port. It doesn't matter what their background is, they all had the same sort of... Uh, ideas of what they wanted to do and the, they built it and accelerated with excitement as you approach port what you're going to do where you're going to go who you're going to go with and uh yeah so i think you're right steve think for me culture has been a seafarer first and foremost so today's smoko today's stories what what's grabbed your attention this week well for me a lot of things have happened recently, you know, this time of year, September, obviously the rugby's all back on, which is great. So that's at least two hours of my life on a Friday, a Saturday and a Sunday taken care of. But Brilliant. on a sporting context, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm not special. I, I'm not wearing two watches, as you can see here. But for my eldest son's 21st birthday, I bought him um, a, a bracelet called a whoop. And W H O O P, and we're not being sponsored by Whoop, but it is, it is, it is a, it, it's a measuring device, and he's he is an athlete, and he does a lot of training, and he wanted to make sure that he could finally balance strain and activity versus recovery and sleep, and this bracelet measures all of that, minutia detail. Anyway, after about. For four or five months, he decided that it was actually giving him way too much data and was bombarding him with too, too much information. So, you know, as a good son, he hands it back down to his father who had actually paid for it in the first place. And I started to wear it. And I've been wearing it now for at least four or four or five weeks now. And I'm amazed at the data. Now, this people will say, well, you've got an iWatch. You can get it on your iWatch. Not with this amount of granular data. What, what are it, we talking about? When I slept, how I slept, disturbance during my sleep, the activity that you took on, how much your heart was being pushed during that activity. And if it was pushed that far, then you should add more recovery, more sleep. You know, it, it basically stops this work hard and work harder. 
um, and even understand stress levels as well, because it built, you know, thousands of people are wearing these. That's all been sucked back to some sort of, uh, you know, um, James Bond character, Blomfeld, that's looking at every human in the world who's wearing a whoop. Mm. But what it does do is it builds, it can see when you're stressed. It can see physically stressed. And then it can interpret when potentially you're emotionally stressed. But here comes the bit that really clicked for me. Which with all this data and all these displays that it was giving back to me, it still needed me as a human to tell it critical things during the day. It's not Life. perfect. Uh, when what, what activity were you doing? How were you feeling during this work period? Or you you isolated it, mm. saying I was sitting down and I was working. Were you stressed? What did you eat? You know, uh, um, what did you watch? It, not quite to that degree, but a whole host of tick boxes that you have to go through on a daily basis for it to learn who you are. And it made me think, it made me think about this digital revolution that we're going through in shipping and so many non-seafaring individuals say, you don't need a noon report. Noon report is dead. Forget the noon report. Census will tell us everything. Well, I'm wearing the whoop and it doesn't know when I've had cheese, uh, macaroni cheese for dinner <laughs> and it's been playing up with me and I can't go to sleep properly. It needs narrative. It needs context for it to become better and better. And I just thought that we are at that age where we can measure. We can measure and we can measure and we can measure. So we're, we're generating a huge amount of measurable data, but we don't really know what it is at the moment. And, and I thought that was really good. And it really surprised mm -hmm. me. And the context between normal life and, and, and what we're doing in shipping was quite relevant. So the new report may be in a certain way asking the wrong questions now. And that part of the new report is dead. But you definitely need humans to tell you what the behavior and what was happening, what was happening during Smoko, basically, uh, and get that context aligned with the data so that was my observation for the for the, for the week and what what's happened with me not not necessarily in the market but that's 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 what i've been doing this week excellent and i guess you've got to know why you want to know all that data haven't you Stu? what's the point of it well <laughs> it's to avoid getting old <laughs> <laughs> You know, fifties creeping up, and when we're down to months now, months, weeks, and seconds uh, before it, it's we, all making sense. And, and I, don't, I just don't want to get to fifty. So if I can do mm. anything, wear anything, that will, you know, probably make it a little easier. Ooh, uh, 50, yeah, fifty is quite a big one, Stu. I've got to say. But, well, is it? Is come on? It's just it was, a no, bloody it was, number. It, it, it was. It was for me. I mean, it's just. Yeah, age is just a number. Yours is just a big one. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> and 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 that kind of stuff. I remember all of that at the time, and I remember kind of. I did a bungee jump at my fiftieth, and somebody said, "Why did you do that?" I said, "It was suicide without the death." <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> so, um, Steve, so, bring some levity, please. <laughs> Well, um, <laughs> yeah, how do we bounce back from that kind of bungee? I mean, I mean, talking about Stu knowing every single thing there is to know about his own body is a quite an uplifting topic in its own right. <laughs> I, I mean, the other thing about all these senses, of course, is they're measuring your body and yeah, you have to tell them certain things, but they never ask anyone else what they see. You know, 
the opinion of the others beyond the sense of like, wow, he looks rough or Ooh, is he okay? And all the rest of it. So all of a sudden you go through this hyper-connected interaction between your body and a sensor, but without any of the external world having any input to it. So you could be saying you're the fittest you've ever been just as you're about to step out in front of a bus because the real world is not part of this construct. I don't think that's levity, but there you go. There's my thought. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that was deep. It, no, but it's also, we're all told now, aren't we? I mean, you know, going back to the Marcus Rashford advert, we're supposed mm. to spot things in our friends and talk mm. to them. And I, I read last night, and I won't say uh, what magazine it was, but it, it, it was generally for the, uh, the, the female population, and um, mm. I happened to be reading it. A great, great app, uh, app. I use Readly, again, not sponsored by Readly, but it has every magazine in the world. And it's all for one single subscription. And I happen to be reading some yoga magazines. And one of the problems that men have is they can't ask each other really how they are, how they feel. You know, it, 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 how are you is generally quickly added on to what pint are you drinking? Uh, and therefore, no one ever gets the opportunity as a bloke to actually say how they feel because they're ordering the next beer. But but I, you're right, Steve. We don't we we don't observe each other, uh, and actually point out, you know, you're not looking so good, or you're looking good, or you know, even blokes to this day, I, I, I have a, you're looking good, and you feel a bit, ooh, that's a bit weird, him saying that. That's reserved for my mum. You know, that is, that, that, it's only your mum that actually ever says, oh, you're looking good, or you're looking fat. <laughs> Or you're looking awfully tired, darling. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Feel the burn. <laughs> That's me and my creams again. Um, oh. Right. I was hoping you were going to give me a lovely, nice little segue into the big topic, I think we can all agree, of the next week or so, and that's COP26. You must have some thoughts about what that means for the shipping industry, uh, for maritime, for for fuel, for supply chain, for costs. What are your thoughts on, on the discussions that are happening already? And, and what would you like to see to come out of COP26 next week? I'm probably not the right person to answer this first. I think this is more Mike. Mike Mike's, Mike's a keen green. I'm, I'm, I, I implicitly believe in everything that we're trying to do as a human race to stop us burning ourselves but i don't think any conference and any agreement is going to get us anywhere until we do what we just discussed in smoko and that's change our culture change our change our our habits it's our generation that's the problem i don't believe it's the younger generation uh, you know and, and i look in our kitchen you know and you, you've got two fridge magnets that are very good at separating out the recycling and then you've got somebody like me that's a little bit like uh, at the end of the day, I can't be asked and everything gets thrown into one bin. Uh, and then when we've made all this effort to recycle everything, put it in all these fancy coloured bins outside, the bin man goes away in separate bin trucks and then dumps it all in the same rubbish dump. Uh, I think everyone's got to be culturally aligned. And, and I think that 
you know, people beating up people that are gluing themselves to the road. Yes, I, I have to say I probably would if I'm late. Um, but I think they're doing a, a sterling job in just trying to get all of us to change our behaviours. So for me, COP26 is not... I'm not I'm not I'm not excited about it. I don't think it's going to do anything until we all just sort our shit out as human. Just be responsible. I think sometimes there are gaping holes, aren't there? You know, some sides of the argument, some points, some behaviours get very, very scrutinised. And, you know, um, whether that's heat pumps or the fuel that we put in our cars or our ships. This morning, it struck me when the doorbell went and my nice parcel arrived from Amazon. <laughs> How many parcels have I had delivered bespoke to my house by a truck that probably is diesel driving around the streets of this town? How many times is that replicated? It's, it's, that's, our, that's habitual behavior for all of us now, isn't it? You know, that kind of Amazon-esque mm. daily delivery mentality. I want it tomorrow. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I hear you. And I think that it's, it's unfair to pick on Jeff. Um, I think he's done a great job. Um, I think, you know, there should be some very simple implementations with Amazon. I think they should be, uh, every time they drop a box off, I think they should drop off a proper bin. And that bin is collected by Amazon. So, you know, you can re simply recycle that cardboard. That's, that, that's, not a, that's not a major problem for a man of his capabilities. I, I, I'm not actually a big hater of Amazon. I think um, one van that's moving towards electric delivering everything is better than thousands of people driving into a shopping centre and burning fuel to get there. Not the fact that I actually hate shopping as well. And Amazon's yeah. given, given me an arm to actually be a retail specialist now. But it, it, there's other people that really grip me more than, than, than Amazon. Like? Supermarkets. Supermarkets. And in particular, someone like Marks and Spencers that charges a premium for two avocados that have been flown over halfway around the world that are wrapped in plastic that specifically says on the side of it, this is not recyclable. That, that, that really grips me, that does, because that could be changed immediately. I've yeah. never eaten an avocado, ever. <laughs> <laughs> Which I suppose boosts my green credentials. So, uh, well you done, you. <laughs> Thank you. It's a, it's a little bit that I do for the planet. <laughs> crazy isn't it it's crazy so what is going but mike you must know what they're going to fly in their private jets to glasgow and 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 go to these five-star hotels billowing out air conditioning and then they're going to sit there about saving the planet but what's the topic of conversation go nuclear and chop coal is that it i'm i just i mean my my hopes for for cop 26 and i think that my hopes are going to be dashed i'm a bit of a pessimist but my hopes for them is that they move away from this idea that there is some some chance of being the last country standing because if you're the last country this idea that this isn't a a combined effort that 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 the developed nations need to finance the change of the rest of the world and i, I just don't see that at the moment because the the tendency for nationalism, the idea that you can boss your way through this and dominate your way through this and be the last nation or group of nations standing. 
and 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 that seems that what I'd like to see is that disappear. Um, um, and I suspect from a from a shipping perspective, we'll we'll see more horrible shipping, horrible aviation. They should sort themselves out. Um, simply because you know shipping has no constituency not, not a relevant constituency within the, so it's an easy thing to regulate and say we're doing something about shipping um having said that if you know if these nations had banned the discharge of plastics into water in 1986 like shipping did i think it was 1986 give or take um you know we'd be in a different place you wouldn't have your the Pacific garbage patch wouldn't be as big as it is. So I think so. For, for, from a sort of a, a macro perspective, what I'd like to see is, but I mean, I, I hope to see, but not expecting it, is this coalescing around the idea that it's a it's a global problem, and we all need to support each other to to get over it. And then from a shipping perspective, we'll just get more of the same and more ambitious targets to reduce reduce the emissions of something that's only responsible for 2.7 percent of emissions anyway. But um, at this point, anyway. That's and are they meaningful targets, Mike? Are they achievable, or are they just what, targets? No. What for targets. for shipping? Mm. Well, shipping's is, shipping's are absolutely achievable. There's no, there's no question about that. What what I'd like to see from shipping is less sort of discussion and debate about the technologies that we're going to apply in the future, and getting on to what we can do right now mm. in terms of. Then there's plenty we can do in terms of emissions mitigation and shipping right now, including things like just-in-time arrival or virtual arrival or whatever you want to call it uh, which is which is it's a that's that doesn't involve any new technology that's just changing the way we do business so that would be for me but but i think that's but the, the, the point that i suppose the, the thing that's making that not happen at the moment is the idea that there's no market for that carbon you save so the inclusion of shipping in some in in some sort of emissions regime um will will drive that behavior i'm sure but also the just-in-time arrival i mean it isn't just in time at the moment, is it? Because the arrivals aren't happening. No, well, well, that's that is one of the other big drivers, I think, at the moment. This mm. this 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 supply chain crisis, uh, partly pandemic triggered or, or largely pandemic triggered, uh, and when everything's fallen over at once, where supply and demand imbalances have, have caused uh, logistics to fall apart. But of course, you know, shipping container lines and bulk carriers and now LNG carriers and probably tankers a little bit later on have all profited dramatically from 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 the fact mm. that the supply chain is absolutely crap and and i think the nations around there so one of the things that may come out of cop 26 is this idea that we, we have to sort supply chain out because it's not sort of tolerable um the the the, the, the changes that we've had are not tolerable the spikes in container freight costs for example are, are for most for, they, they, these are putting people out of business so what, what be kind a lot of percentages of are we talking oh i think before the crisis i think you could and I, again you quoting off the top of my head you could get a container mm. across the pacific for less than a thousand dollars and that's now i think it's forty thousand dollars it went up as if not higher than that so wow. you know really huge percentages wow. increase increases in transportation costs and that will change the point of manufacture it'll put people out of business they'll move businesses and i don't think we've seen the, all the consequences of that will anything good come out of this supply well, chain conundrum well, I think you'll, you you might get the repatriation of production to some places. They just turn around. We can't do that. Or instead of offshoring, you'll get near shoring. So you 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 reduce the length of your supply chain risk. So there the, there will be some some good stuff out of out of that. But again, then again, one would argue that those economies where we're producing stuff cheaply at the moment 
and what happens to them when you repatriate or near shore production. So it's it's not it's it's a very complex. Uh, but shipping's always going. Shipping will just adapt. I su- I suppose, you know, that's all very well for shipping, but but if we think about things like onshoring or nearshoring of manufacturing of of whatever what does that do to our inflation you know it's it's kind of a perilous time at the moment isn't it well i think it's i mean that, that's a simple you know what, what's happening in the uk is a, is a very discreet thing to the to the uk uh I, I'm, I'm not sure that uh you know for for, for i think the impact on other nations of ship, shifting points of production it's it's, it's a bigger deal that I, I don't i don't you know the the UK's problems are discrete to what 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 we what we're doing. So so what you're saying, Mike, is that we all have to form a global alliance and become one nation when it comes to emission. But the best way to reduce emission is for us to all localize ourselves and reduce that supply chain. I th- I think. Yeah, I think that will be one of the consequences. I'm not saying it's the right consequence. I'm just saying mm-hmm. when when the cost of transportation means that your your you know your production process, the 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 way that you make a profit becomes unprofitable, then you've got to change something, and 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 that may mean those the the things that I mentioned. So I think and I and, and it is about you know what we've seen through COVID, possibly not just because of COVID, but exacerbated by COVID, is this idea of national interest. That's why sailors can't go home, because they're, they're, you know, everybody's closing their borders, restricting travel, and it's, it's almost becomes a mindset. This is, this is about us, this kind of siege mentality. And that siege mentality that's grown, whether driven by politics or whether by COVID, that tends to mis- militate against COP26, coming up with the global sort of community view, which is what you need to solve that particular problem. So that's that, that's that's why I'm saying I'd like to see them recognize this and say, hey, we're going the wrong direction here. But I suspect they won't because there is just this siege mentality, you know, so partly, partly politics, partly um, uh, COVID. I guess that's the tragedy, really, that it's likely to be series of lost opportunities because of the political element that naturally forms of this if it was uh you know the contracting parties purely with science purely with you know proper answers to a global problem you know the fundamental agreement that we want clean water clean air places not to combust and have wildfires threatening everything you know we could all come together and coalesce around those agreed standards that we need in the world but unfortunately as you say it then falls into a political debate and who can commit to what who's willing to whether it's a a national issue and all these other things so what we do is then we waste and waste and waste years of not actually fixing the fundamentals until we get pushed to a point where there's no option but so i suppose maybe we're at that point i don't know but i just fear that the political dimensions will just outstrip any real genuine progress so humans not working as a team yeah it's the ship again isn't it we're all on our back to smoko in the universe (laughs) (laughs) the doors are shut maybe what we should do is just retire everybody that is of a middle age and just let the younger ones get on with this and just let them sort it all out because you know hospital pass we've already given them the hospital pass haven't we i mean that's that's a sad thing you know i'm i'm big into it i i I believe in it 
but when you said louise you know what, what are thoughts on cop 26 it just goes over my head it's just it, it i'm i just think it's a load of pressing flesh and just doing what they need to do for the cameras i think we really need as steve said is get down have a scientific plan and don't even get people to sign up to it you just got to do it because there ain't going to be many you know polar bears left and dolphins and humans we'll, we'll all go we'll all just vaporize it'll be a bit like um is it infinity wars at the end when thanos clicks his finger maybe that's what we should do just get a <laughs> thanos and he just clicks his finger and 50 percent of everything disappears and then we can reset the clock again and maybe maybe that's the way to do it well um speaking <laughs> of making troublesome things disappear is there a bell or a, a, an alarm that goes at the end of Smoko to let you know wow. it's, it's done? Do you get a, yeah. you get a three minute warning like kids in the park, kids, three more minutes, three more minutes and then you're back? Well, it, that all depends on the, I, for me, my experiences of finishing Smoko were based, there, there was always an unwritten team leader when Smoko would be wrapped up unless you had a particularly odd captain and we had one called Tanoi Tom. And you can imagine that Tanoi Tom used the Tanoi to insist that Smoko was over, which backfired on him because we all stood up as soon as he announced the end of Smoko, but would drag our feet for the next 30 minutes, getting our boots on and our, uh, and our boiler suits to go back to work. So I think it's, you know, treat people as grown-ups and they'll act like grown-ups. So I think, you know, you, you, you just knew when you'd had your fun and you didn't want to take the piss. So and you wanted another smoko in a couple of hours time at three o'clock so get up at exactly half past all right well on that note i think the smoko is done away you go thank See you, you very time. much we're, we're, well, we're in I'm no to, rush i'm off to wash my hands <laughs> <laughs> and as they stub the last embers of this smoko out we do hope you'll join us again to navigate a post-cop world a pre-christmas supply chain and more thrillingly uncharted waters ahead. Thanks for listening.